Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that rare and associated communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. If this is your first time listening to Signalize a Dazzle for a podcast, thank you. I hope that you will subscribe on YouTube and or your podcasting app of choice. If this is your fifth or your 15th episode of Signalize, thanks for coming back. I do appreciate it. Just really quickly, I do have just some updates for 2024 as well as some personal updates. So if you would listen to the end of the podcast for that information, please do. In our last episode, we covered International Epilepsy Awareness Day. CRPS in November, as well as Color the World Orange, Fox G1 in Minky Syndrome, World Acromegaly in World Neck Cancer, 15Q San Filippo Awareness, and Non-Rare Days, Carers Rights UK, and Remembrance Day. Marie, a Walsh member of our global community and our WhatsApp group, uh, the Dazzle for Rare channel, mentioned some additional dates that we had missed on the calendar. World Pneumonia Day passed on Sunday the 12th of November, as did World COPD Awareness Day on the 15th of November. You might be asking yourself, Kimberly, pneumonia and COPD aren't rare, so why mention them or even put them on the awareness calendar? I'm always glad that you asked. (laughs) We are an intersectional group of diverse human beings from around the world. Many of us have lowered immunity, a predisposition to respiratory conditions, or are on immunosuppressing drugs or treatments right now. Many of us have or will come into contact with pneumonia or potentially COPD, maybe even via a loved one, like a spouse, a partner, uh, someone else in our life, a parent. Uh, So I'm going to drop some information in the show notes about pneumonia so that you can check that out and get an understanding of viral pneumonia, etc. And also folks, tis the season. If you are a vaccine positive person, uh, you can make sure that you get your pneumonia, flu, and COVID jabs now as we're really starting to get into the colder days. And if you're not into getting vaccinated, well, you do you. No judgment. As the day of recording, we had the World Pancreatic Cancer Day, emphasizing early detection for improved outcomes. In November, of course, the whole month is International Epilepsy Awareness Month. While epilepsies are not rare, many rare conditions come with an epilepsy attached. Uh, I know it's an odd way of saying it, but there are so many types of epilepsy and there's so many genetic conditions that also include epilepsy. It, it's mind-boggling. So it really is important to focus on this month to understand the impact of epilepsy, not only on the general population and people who aren't rare, but as well as rare disease communities too. That's a wrap for November Awareness events. I covered it in much more detail in the last episode. And of course, these are on the Dazzle for Rare Awareness calendar. So obviously, subscribe to the calendar. You can find it on dazzleforrare.net. If you have questions uh, or any difficulties, first, please definitely read the website. But you can also reach out to me at Kimberly at dazzleforrare.net. A lot of folks have mentioned over time that things like conferences, webinars, conventions, different industry events, and things like that are on their radar, are something that they wish there was a calendar for. And thankfully, as you know, if you're a listener of this podcast, there is a calendar for that. Uh, it's on our 
community event. If you missed it in a previous podcast, definitely make sure you put it on your radar for next year. BioIT World Europe is coming very, very soon in a few days to London on the 29th and the 30th of this month. The event focuses on the convergence of biology, information technology, and medicine. And the convergence is real um, and is very topical. So all of this uh, existing in the realm of precision medicine, which is another hot topic of the decade. This event will feature 50 biotech and bio-IT presentations, 60-plus distinguished speakers, five in-depth bio-IT tracks. It's a great opportunity for networking with folks and getting to know people, listening in on discussions about precision medicine. The event will host exhibitors from clinical informatics, healthcare, bioinformatics, data management, cloud computing, which is super interesting, and AI and pharma, which again is a super hot topic right now. Uh, It's an invitation-only event with pre-registration required. However, again, get this on your radar if this is something that is applicable to you and interesting to you. Get it on your radar for next year. If you've been around for a while, just in the Global Rare Disease Network, you've probably come across a lot of studies, a lot of white papers, probably health-authored a white paper. You've probably come across a lot of ebooks and other reading materials related to your condition, related to pharma, related to industry. I wanted to put this on your radar if this is something that you not only find interesting as something to be reading on the train to work, but also if this is something that you feel you could get more involved with. Applied Clinical Trials has released an ebook called Going the Distance, Insights into Rare Disease Clinical Studies, Trial Retention, and Patient Experience. Now, this is obviously written for folks in industry. And if you're someone in industry, I hope that this is an interesting recommendation for you. If you're not, uh, and you're a well-read patient advocate, or you're somebody who really cares about getting into DCTs, decentralized clinical trials, clinical trial participation, retention, or, you know, helping to enhance the patient experience. This might be really interesting for you. In summary, clinical research in rare disease presents unique challenges, clearly, but it's also a unique opportunity. Definitely challenges can very much lead to opportunity. Prioritizing patient experience, trial sponsors can gain insight into the obstacles that are faced by folks like me, folks like you, or people that you see as patient. Their families uh, and other stakeholders like caregivers are also involved in this ecosystem. Taking a patient-centered approach both enhances participation rates and maximizes effectiveness and results. The key points of the ebook are understanding the complexities of clinical research and orphan drug development, which again is super important to many of us. Uh, The majority of us don't have even one FDA-approved drug. Orphan drug development, very interesting. Also, utilizing specialized travel services to help keep patients engaged. That's a huge one. It's something we've certainly talked about in the RCNet and at the ADIRA conference. So again, really topical for many of us. And it helps folks participate. Um, And also, there's strategies for collecting data from folks who are participating. Now, I imagine many of you are passionate about the rise of decentralized clinical trials in sort of a waning COVID pandemic. Um, It's still very much an issue for many of us, but this is now part of our new normal. So decentralized clinical trials aren't just a one-off because of the pandemic. They're sort of the future here. So creating more inclusive trials that actually engage patients and to create a design that doesn't knock folks out when they can still provide useful data, all very important. We're not just data points, we are people, but if we can contribute to other aspects like putting things in plain language for patients, helping to uh, translate to folks' native language, all of that benefits our communities. So if we can do that, you bet your bottom dollar that we will. 
but if you want to keep us engaged and informed, don't stop. Don't think, right, I've talked to some patients. Now I know everything I need to know. We should be involved at every level. Uh, so on the subject of applied clinical trials and what they put out, they also have an executive summary for their on-demand webcast that is called Incorporating the Patient Voice for Inclusive Medical Communications, all of are very relevant to many of us. Uh, so you can go to their website via the link in our description, you can check out the executive summary, or you can sign up to watch the on-demand webcast. Obviously, they'll ask you for information to create a marketing list. Everybody does it. Um, so if that turns you off, maybe don't. But if, it, if it's not a problem for you and you don't mind someone contacting you, um, and it's interesting too, you might want to check it out. If uh, nerdy reading is something that you enjoy, like you enjoy when there's a white paper drop, you enjoy reading other people's triumphs, successes, where things went wrong, where things can go right, what opportunities are out there in our learning experiences, or other stuff that may be relevant to you just generally, then I would love to know. I'd love your feedback. If you want to send an email to info at dazzle4rare.net and put nerdy reading in the subject, I will more likely see that and hopefully be able to get back to you a little bit sooner. I have like eight emails, two jobs. <laughs> a family, a podcast. I have like some stuff happening. So really it helps me when I do get a chance to check my inbox. It helps me to know, right, this is what this is related to. And if you have reading suggestions that you think are going to be great for other patients, great for providers, great in general for our community in terms of knowledge sharing and contributing to the massive brain that is the rare disease community, I would love to share that with others too. Speaking of resources and stuff that we can read and engage with, the good folks at Global Genes have opened up their quarterly resource guide. This is a new thing for Global Genes, so I will give you just some, some basics here. It's a dedicated resource filled with toolkits, patient stories, and information specifically focused on rare disease and genetic conditions. There's a lot of resources out there provided by folks like Genetic Alliance UK, Global Genes, and others. Sometimes when folks, not calling anyone out here, but we have the best of intentions, and so folks create organizations and then decide, right, well, I want to have a much more global reach. And so we're trying to include folks from all around the world, which is great and I love, but sometimes there can it, the space is just so saturated with information. What guide do I read? What's going to really help me and my community? What's what do I need to know? So hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to add some of these resources and break down what they are for you so you can make a decision based on that. But again, if you have resources for your community or you have stuff you want to share, certainly get in touch with us. Well, recently, I spoke with Team Gazzle members Carrie and Titina. Carrie has been exceptionally life-saving to say the least. Titina is, is pretty new to our global communities. We'll get a chance to uh, learn from her and her experience, which is really unique to our community when it comes to birth and breastfeeding, and especially when it comes to rare and chronic conditions. Uh, I don't see a lot of support for that, so I'm really glad that we have Titina's wisdom to draw on. But I'm really glad to say that speaking to Carrie and Titina recently, they're both really dedicated to helping keep this effort alive. And I'm really grateful for that. In the past, we've been lucky to have folks like Kimberly Amelia, who really, really helped out uh, in 2018. She's, uh, in my opinion, she saved the event. We've had John Marlowe, who some of you know, Lydia Siders, who some of you know, and folks who have helped us reach more people, who help make connections. And every single bit of help that we get from you guys is incredibly important. But I look forward to introducing you to Team Dazzle members, Carrie and Titina, really soon so that you 
can get to know them a little bit as well. I personally have a bit of a to-do list when it comes to DazzleFerrero.net. I really, as I said earlier, would like to share more resources and guides and explain them a little bit to you so you can find what works for you quickly. That it's it, it's the resource that helps you get to the right next resource or signposting as we say here in the UK. We have a pretty lengthy to-do list of how we're going to make 2024 more impactful and maybe more inclusive and help to engage you guys more. And one of those to-do items is the profile on Dazzle for Rare. So if you participated last year and you have a profile page on the website, thank you. We really want to make that a place where, and when the event is happening, people can go to the website, they can check out who's participating, what their message is, and learn more about them. Because guess what, folks? There's so many of us. There's so many of us. And any opportunity to help bring folks together and make it easier for folks to get to know you, to engage with you, to learn about your condition community and what you're working on. That's something that's really near and dear to our hearts and we want to help support you. So it's a tall order getting ready for 2024, but really having a one-stop resource guide for you guys might be useful. So if that is something useful or you have some things that you'd like to see on the dazzleforrare.net website, uh, you can send an email to info at dazzleforrare.net and put resources in the subject line and we'll leave a clickable link in the show notes. We've got some news in the United States. So this is going to be an interesting bit for some of y'all. A U.S. court brief has positive implications for U.S. patients. A lawsuit has been filed against the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services by patient groups, the HIV plus Hepatitis Policy Institute, the Diabetes Leadership Council, and the Diabetes Patient Advocacy Coalition, along with three individual patients. While the patient groups mentioned are not rare specifically, the brief has has implications for the American Care Act and many U.S. patients, rare or not. The legal action challenges a 2021 federal rule that allows health insurers to exclude the value of drug manufacturer copay assistance from patient out-of-pocket expenses. That sounded complicated. So to break that down, during the Trump presidency, a rule was created to allow insurance companies to ignore discounts or financial help from drug companies when calculating how much a patient has actually paid toward their healthcare spending limit. The plaintiffs in this brief argue that this rule from 2021 violates the Affordable Care Act's cost sharing requirements and is kind of arbitrary, to be honest. In support, 29 patient, provider, and consumer organizations have filed an amicus brief. They claim that the rule increases prescription drug costs for patients, particularly those with chronic conditions, and are seeking a court judgment to declare the rule unlawful could impact how insurers count copay assistance inpatient cost. And I know, I know, no, no, for many of you, this is really important. Certainly, I think on my folks and just the amount of financial stress that is on them, there is a PDF of the press release about this on HIVHEP.org and we will link to it. Also, for folks who are interested in more information about the Affordable Care Act or the ACA, you can click on a link Uh, in the show notes as well that really helps lead you to the Affordable Care Act and gives you some more information. And for folks who are in other countries, the UK, India, uh, Canada, uh, we have listeners in those places and more. If you think, oh, okay, well, this is not really applicable to me, first of all, I completely understand because I don't live in the US any longer. But what is really interesting is looking at how other countries handle care, you know, of any form for the patients in their country. 
So whether we're looking at structures like the Affordable Care Act or whether we're looking at things like the NHS or we're looking at other types of um, care, insurance, socialized care, actually all of this is really interesting and we stand to benefit from learning about the structures of other countries and what other people are doing and where are they going wrong and how can we advocate for better treatment in places that we live and how can we understand what challenges we may one day come up against or solutions that other people have found that we might be able to adapt to our own circumstances in our own country. So I find this very interesting. I hope you do too. If you have some information or news like this, feel free to email it over. You know the email address. I've already mentioned it. All right, folks, we have a main story here. We have updates on Take Care of Maya. Pull up a chair, grab a cuppa, put your feet up. This is a long story. Uh, I have two disclaimers when talking about this story, which I did briefly touch on last year in the podcast. And unfortunately, this update is bittersweet to say the least. But again, I have two disclaimers for you. The first is uh, this subject may be triggering. Themes in this segment may be triggering for some folk. Please take care of your mental health and your safety for stories that may involve things like not being believed as a patient, having your parental rights questioned in healthcare settings, self-termination, medical gaslighting, and other themes related to abuse. The second disclaimer I have is that I have not watched the Netflix series. I know that from my 38-year grueling road to an initial diagnosis of the condition I was born with and the struggle that I am still actively in, I know this documentary would, like, break me. I'm going to be completely honest. It would crush my heart to watch. I have read about it, but I haven't seen it, and I don't think I personally could cope with it. I do want to give you a summary, though. Based on what I have read and the information that's out, Take Care of Maya is a Netflix documentary delving into the distressing story of a young girl's journey through the child welfare system following a rare medical diagnosis. It focuses on Maya Kowalski, whose rare condition led to allegations of abuse. The documentary explores the themes of child abuse accusations, pediatric pain, the tragic consequences of these accusations, and how it impacted young Maya. Recently, a Florida jury awarded the family, Kowalski family, $261 million in a suit against John Hopkins All Children's Hospital in Florida. The family's case centered around these accusations from the family that the hospital had acted in a way that was negligent, that there was false imprisonment of Maya, and that there are additional accusations regarding her treatment there in 2016. For context, young Maya was only 10 years old at the time these events were to unfold. She was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. As events continued to unfold, staff suspected that she was being abused, leaving Maya in the hospital for three months, isolated and under surveillance without her parents' consent. Uh, this distress led to significant mental health decline in her mother and eventually her mother's self-termination in 2017. The hospital's response at the time was that they were following abuse reporting protocols and the hospital now plans to appeal this 2023 decision. Uh, Maya is now, or excuse me, Maya is now 17 years old. She received the recent court verdict in person with her father, Jack and with her brother. Uh, it was emotional to see that clip. She was there to receive the verdict in person, and the appeal process is expected to begin from the hospital in early 2024. 
a parent can be accused of harming their own child erroneously or incorrectly, especially when it comes to rare conditions that can mimic unexplained pain, bruising, or other ambiguous injuries that may or may not be a signal of abuse. And I could very much see now in retrospect how seeing a child with bruises everywhere and, you know, who may be complaining of chronic pain, how that might be completely out of the realm of understanding for people who don't understand, who aren't privy to or have access to or even have the ability to understand what some conditions can do to a person or how they can physically manifest. The concept of having a child taken away and prevented from seeing a hurting child is extremely upsetting. I really hope that she's getting the, the support, the nurturing, and the help that she may need to learn to trust because, you know, these conditions... These, these are often with us for the rest of our lives, and to have such a terrible experience with the healthcare system at such a young age, to the extent that it's cost, probably caused her lifelong trauma, this reminds me of a story of a family that I know, the Baldini family and Team Duria. While the story isn't mine to tell, I can give you a summary based on my small experience when this was going on and what is online for you to read. In 2016, while I was working with HISA, the Hashimoto's Encephalopathy S-Read Alliance at that time, uh, I was working on their website as well as their second book. And somehow through that, I was connected to the Baldini family, to Samin. I don't remember exactly how we connected, but at that time... I was struggling to get stories out about autoimmune encephalitis and the stories of the many broken children in our communities whose stories needed to be told. Again, the reason why Dazzle for Rare exists in the first place. Um, I was writing to outlets, journalists, and anyone who might listen to the stories of these kids and adults day and night, I'm spending hours and hours each week trying to get people to listen to these stories. And so when I started to talk to the, the Baldinis, at that time, Duryea was actually in the hospital and had been for some weeks. And from the information that the parents have put out on the website and on Facebook, the hashtag Free Duryea began around that point. And it was an effort by the family and friends to raise their voices on behalf of Duryea, whose voice was effectively silent after a minor accident, which led to her hospitalization in New York. She was held there against her will, and because she was unable to leave the hospital on her, of her own volition, she wasn't able to access treatment for her diagnosis of autoimmune encephalitis. And then you can find this on the family's website. So a forced hospitalization is probably to all of us one of the most terrifying things about being a patient or being a complex or rare patient in any part of the world, whether it's the United States, the UK, Canada, India, any country. I know personally coming from the U.S., we often think, well, it can't happen, but Durya and Maya are clear and heartbreaking examples of the removal of basic rights under the guise of someone knowing better, uh, disregarding diagnoses from other clinicians and other experts and specialists based on a lack of personal experience with those conditions and perhaps other motives as the family taken by uh, alleged bad actors in the healthcare system. We like to believe that everybody is there to support patients and to help us through our darkest times, but some people may not be, and that's an unfortunate reality, whether you're a patient or you're just living in the world. Durya and her family endured a lot of pain during that time and ongoing, and there was a significant a window of opportunity that was missed because of this chance situation in that hospitalization. Families like the 
the Baldini family and the Kowalski family make sacrifices every day for the sake of caring for a child or a loved one who has a serious illness. Credence isn't always given to parents, partners, or caregivers with their knowledge of the person who is the patient. While no one knows our conditions better than we do, what happens when we're not able to clearly verbalize our medical history, our diagnosis or diagnoses, or even our own thoughts? You can arm yourself with your medical team's details. You can carry a folder of documents stating your diagnosis or diagnoses and who to contact in case of an emergency, a list of specialists that you see and they can help share information. But at the end of the day, if your presentation to whomever you are seeing at the time causes that human being who is fallible and who is practicing medicine to believe that they know more about you or your presentation or they know more about a condition or they are more experienced in a particular situation than your own care team than your own family much of whatever evidence you have with you or that is provided by people on your behalf can be absolutely disregarded people can say with skepticism it can't happen or this kind of thing doesn't happen but not only have i seen it with the baldini family watching things unfold in real time with them as a very, very small spectator, I've experienced this myself in a much more brief hospital stay in March of 2020, but that's a story for another time. So if you want to learn more about hashtag free Durya and the family's experience since 2016, you can visit freedurya.info, that's F-R-E-E-D-E-R-Y-A.info to read more about her story as told through her parents, Samin and James. A final note, uh, it's always been really uplifting to me, the endless and boundless love and devotion that the Baldinis have for their daughter, as well as their son. It, they are an incredibly and fiercely loving set of parents. In any case, that's going to wrap up this story for today, and I think that's going to wrap up the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle Ferrer podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle Ferrer, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms.